CJOB's election coverage kicked off this morning on the start. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to be focusing on one of the big issues in the campaign as we head up to the election. And today's discussion was on affordability. How are you saving money and what is the most expensive thing in your life? The future of the Winnipeg Jets. What is Mark Chipman saying about the team's future and the future of downtown? September is World Alzheimer's Month, and the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba has a message to politicians during this provincial election campaign. And recurring dreams. Do you have them? Recurring or reoccurring? I dream about the same thing every night, and it's starting to drive me nuts. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, September 12th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And today, it feels like a big day because we are essentially kicking off our election coverage today. And I'm excited. Well, I think we we were just talking off air here. I mean, this is all elections you'd like to think are important to people. But this one, it feels like there's a lot on the line. And no matter who you're leaning towards, we got big issues in this province and this country, quite frankly. And life is increasingly unaffordable. And your health care system, you think, is struggling. And you come downtown and you worry about crime. And so we have lots of big conversations that need to happen. We go to the polls three weeks today. And uh, I think there might be a lot of people who think they know how they're going to vote. But might still be on the undecided camp or they know exactly how they're going to vote because they're either looking for change or looking to keep things the same. And so it's just, it's, I think it's a fascinating time. Personally, in my circles, I hear more people talking about it than in the elections past in, in recent memory. Well, my gauge is right across the table I, from me. And when Brett McGarry <laughs> says he's excited, I don't know if you're feigning excitement no, or no, genuinely excite, excited, Brett, but if you're genuinely excited, I know there are other people in our community, in our listener group, and our listener family that are excited and maybe as interested as they've ever been on the topic. And uh, one of the things we're going to be focusing on today, not only is the leadership debate, but Richard Cluche sat down with Mark Chipman yesterday. We're going to share some of Mark Chipman's comments, uh, not only about downtown, about the hockey team and uh, the uh, concern over season ticket sales and uh, the concern over downtown and, and the path. Like for years, it was all about, you know, Portage Place in 1987 and the, and the North Portage Initiative and the Core Area Initiative. It was $96 million, with, which back in the mid-1980s seemed like a ton of money because you could build a dome mm-hmm. football stadium for $60, $70, 80000000 million. And that's the way I always thought as a teenager. Well, <laughs> if they took that money, they could actually build a dome stadium because <laughs> that's all that mattered to me, new arenas and, and dome stadiums. So that's the kind of the way I, I would correlate these uh, government announcements. And for years, it was all about the public money that was being spent downtown. Well, now you could argue there's no one that's put in more private money downtown than the Richardsons and the Chipmans, David Thompson, Mark Chipman's partner in True North, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars into different projects throughout the downtown. And now Mark Chipman is uh, expressing his concern, his frustration maybe, with uh, the way our downtown is rolling out. 
So there's lots of players to speak to, right? There's the private side of things that want to work to make life better here. There's the individuals. And then, of course, there's the politicians. So what we're going to do starting now on CJOB is every Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to tackle some of those bigger issues. Today, we're going to talk about affordability. And the three leaders of the Conservatives, NDP and Liberals will join CJOB throughout the day, uh, starting on Hal's show. And then on Thursday, one of the leaders will join our show. We'll rotate through uh, for the next couple of weeks. But I drove in today, Brett, and this was I wasn't doing this intentionally. I had to stop for gas mm-hmm. at 4 a.m. Didn't fill my tank for 70 bucks, but that whatever. That's where we've been at for a while. Then I uh, moved through the downtown and past St. Boniface Hospital ER and think, when is this ER going to be done? Like, the, you know, we've got huge issues. And by the time it's done, if we bring more people to the province, will we need more? And then I pull into the downtown and there's three different people at the corner I know I'm quite certain up to no good. And so I went from thinking about the cost of living to that darn hospital mm. to the downtown <laughs> you safety. Covered all the bases. And I was like, this is like, this is like how I'm going into the voting booth. Like all these <laughs> issues that was not intentional. It's just how my day went, right. which is why I think there are a lot of people out there genuinely interested in, in who's saying what. So you can, by the way, we, we've got lots at cjob.com as well. We've got Richard Kluche's podcast, The Decision Podcast. He's doing a 10-part series looking at various issues, and two episodes are up already. We've got the Promise Tracker at cjob.com. And uh, the debate, we've got a debate coming up on this radio station. It's next. It's on Monday, right? 21st. So whatever that is, next Tuesday, let me double check that. I thought it was the 18th. I'm sorry. I have my dates mixed up. Well, there's a debate today taking place this morning. In Uh, this studio, one day next week. We just have to figure out exactly what day it is. (laughs) I'll let you do that. But on the affordability front, one of the questions, one of the questions today with regard to affordability, how much impact can the government actually have on the affordability index, on the things that are costing us more, how can they help out? How do they impact? How do their decisions impact? And of course, the first thing people are going to say is taxes, of course. But there are other things, other promises that have been made so far in this campaign uh, from from both of the the two front runners in particular, Wab Canoe and, and, and Heather Stephenson, about things that the, the government, should they form their parties or should they form government that they'll do a uh, Wab canoe the, for one of the first things he said is, well, we're going to press pause on collecting the provincial uh, excise tax on gasoline, 14 cents a liter. You'll notice that at the pump, but so too will the government notice that on the revenue side. So how are they going to balance all Conservative that? Conservatives said they'd cut the payroll tax in the next eight years. I think that's 400 million or something that comes into government million, coffers. Yeah, so where do they get that money? money. Yeah. Dougal Lamont from the Liberals is promising to do something with more rent control, which might make sense for a whole whack of Manitobans. So we'll get more into the affordability chat at 637. And just the TV debate is September 21st on Global at 6 p.m., and I believe the same day is the radio debate. All right. Lots to discuss today. In the morning at 10 a.m. Lots to discuss on the election today, and we'll have more at 6.35. And a quick reminder, we talked about it last week, Loren. The Leisure Guide. Is, it, is today the starting gun on registration? It's the starting gun on registration for all a whole whack of things. You know, it might be just the sports you're signing them up for, and then eventually you might be trying swimming again. So just keep us posted. We like to know. They, they work to revamp that system and make it more accessible, easier to use, user-friendly, whatever you want to call it. So if you're logging on to that later this morning, let us know how it goes. This is like the portage and main of issues. Like... 
here we are. We're still talking about the leisure guide. And I want to know. I want to know. I want to know <laughs> if this is something they talk about in other cities. The swim swimming lesson registration. Is it like such a big deal in other cities? Because this has been a big deal for as long as I can remember. Can we not just fix it? <laughs> anyway, sorry. If you have any suggestions on how to do that, 204 780 We head to the polls in exactly three weeks. And as you work your way through all the promises, one of the questions you might be asking is which leader, which party is going to be best for my bottom line? Yeah, the Tories are promising further tax cuts. The Liberals are looking at conversations around rent and larger rebates for Manitobans with smaller incomes, while the NDP are also talking protections for renters, along with a free on a freeze on hydro rates and a temporary cut to the gas tax. So when it comes to affordability and the fact so many things are increasingly unaffordable, I'm curious who people blame, if that's even a thing. Are you pointing a finger at someone or a certain level of government or a certain politician? Do you honestly think governments can make a difference here, whether it's your grocery prices or your gas? I think they can at some levels. Well, Malcolm Bird is a political science at the University of Winnipeg, and he says there's something else to consider. Groceries or the price, price is rising. The real issue is, are wages rising at an at a equal or commensurate amount? And my general sense is that that's not what's happening. And so whether it's groceries or energy or housing, average Canadians are seeing their costs rise and their wages or their compensation or their income is not rising in an equal amount. And again, that's causing great hardship and particularly for those at the lower end of the income scale because more of their money has to go to necessities like housing, food and energy. So I think about a year ago, we started asking this question, have you gone to your boss or your employer and said, like, look, like, like this is coming really tough. Am I in line for a raise? Is there something we can do? Is there a cost of living thing we can talk about? I think some of you might have done that. Some of us might have done that. But I think a lot of people a year, a year and a half ago said, I could ride this out. You know, we've got variable mortgage rates, but I'm, I can eat a few months or I can handle these gas prices right now for the next you know, short term. But a year and a half later, you might be thinking, oh, my gosh, like, what am I going to do while I wait for some sort of magic fix? What else can I do? Well, we saw gas prices like drop substantially a couple of summers ago. And so the thought that that might be the new baseline went right out the window last summer. And so the new baseline price for gasoline, I think, is here, as is the new baseline price for groceries. All the experts we ask and speak to is like, is this the new normal? Well, yeah, it seems as though that these aren't aberrations. These are what we're we're going to see. Now, Patricia Marquez is a Winnipegger and avid couponer. She's got a big family and says without coupons and other apps... It would be a struggle. Weekly, if um, I should have at least 600 in groceries, That's that, in, that includes milk, formula, I have three kids, all the school snacks and all our things, but then I squished it down to 150 per week. So again, that that's Patricia. What she said there was that weekly or grocery budget with three kids is $600. That includes milk and formula. But with the help of coupons, she cuts that down by more than 400 bucks. That's impressive stuff. And I have to admit, I am and have been over the last year, Brett, paying as much or more attention to the actual unit cost and the cost of groceries 
than I likely ever have before in an effort to make sure we're not spending more money than we need to on that stuff. And every time I hear from one of these sort of extreme couponers, I always wonder, like, why is this not something I've taken the, the time to even try to figure out? Because anybody I know, I don't know that many people who do it, but the people who do it, there's one point in this interview where she says, I, I make money. I'm making money off of this stuff. Like she says, in some cases, like they're, they're paying, it's almost like they're paying her to go out and get this stuff. And I've never once even, like I get the flyers in the mail immediately in the recycle bin. It can be a part-time job. Well, you have to work for it. And, you know, and it used to be for me not so long ago, I thought, well, now I have to make the effort to go to like six different grocery stores to get all these things. And is that going to make sense when you throw in the cost of gas and your time? But now if you're, if you're passing, you know, like I, I I have just this last couple of weeks started down the road of I've signed up for some of the apps. I've signed up for the alerts that will say this is now on sale. And then I'm going to work it. If it makes sense in my day, I will stop there. I'm not going to go out of my way to go to that place. But for example, on the weekend, I had a friend to say, I think it was, yeah, Sobeys. Chicken is normally 49, you know, the chicken breasts, which it used to be 29. It was, it's now 49 to 55 bucks for a box of chicken breasts. She's like, they're on sale for 39. And I went yesterday and they had a limit of two and I bought two because I keep waiting for things to get better and, and it's not. So now I need to, I think I need to be Patricia. You have to know your prices. I know when I go to Costco, when I go to the other grocery stores, there's stuff that I know the price of. And the stuff that isn't perishable, I will buy it if it's on sale, no matter what. Put it in the pantry. Got a little bit of a pantry area in the basement. Pasta, peanut butter, ketchup, mustard, those sorts of things. When they're on a good price, I'll just buy them. I don't even care how many I have at home. Toilet paper is the same thing. Paper towel. Holy smokes, has paper towel and toilet paper ever gotten expensive? And the frequency with which you find a sale... That's gone down as well. So you have to be sort of, your radar has to be on all the time, Brett. So for many of us, the goal is to vote for someone who you think will make your life better, whether it's make life more affordable or make healthcare more accessible, clean up crime, etc. And no matter which party is making the promise, they all involve bringing more people to Manitoba, more skilled labor, more doctors and nurses. Well, how do we draw more people to this province? U of W political scientist Malcolm Byrd believes Manitoba has an advantage. Very generally speaking, our rents are reasonable and our houses are affordable. And for young people and for people of more marginal means, moving to the prairies or moving to Manitoba can can really yield some some great benefits because uh, you you can purchase a relatively modest house here, safe, good neighborhood, um, that you can live at, live in with your, your wife and your, and your children for a reasonable amount. Home just up the street here went for $290,000, which is a, a reasonable amount of money and that, that many you know, average Canadian and average Canadian families could afford. So I think Manitobans and Manitoba really needs to recognize uh, that we, have, we actually have a, uh, an advantage relative to the rest of the country here, um, but that given that rents here and the cost of living here in Manitoba is also rising, but fortunately not as much as in other places in Canada. If you remember an $86,000 or $90,000 average home price in Winnipeg, the idea that the average price is around $400,000 is probably stomach churning. But when you compare what's happening and it's happened in Toronto and Vancouver, 
Alberta is advertising the heck out of the Alberta Advantage in Southern Ontario. We need a new billboard. Right? We're cheap. Van- hey, Vancouver. Alberta, they are, they are, they are advertising the heck out of the Alberta advantage. Saskatchewan did it for years when I lived in Alberta. It's time for Manitoba to start selling this idea of it's cheaper here versus where you are. It's not cheaper versus the way it was here a few years ago, but versus everywhere else. Man, we've got we've got uh, we've got an advantage here. We need to market it. We're going to hear more about what the leaders are saying as they prepare for a debate later this morning, and we'll have more on this at eight thirty-seven. And reminder: the leaders' debate on six eighty CJOB is happening Monday, September eighteenth at ten a.m. Ninety minutes, commercial free. The televised debate happens on Global Thursday, September twenty-first at six p.m. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Got a concert announcement coming up, by the way, uh, just after 7 o'clock. And I should also give you a heads up. At the the 5 degrees, that's at the Forks, but at the airport, it's 2 degrees out there. A little chilly start to your Tuesday morning. So we've got tickets to give away for the Bomber game on September 29th. Big one. Toronto Argonauts coming to town. And... We're going to talk about dreams today for your chance to win because it's occurred to me that for the last, I don't know how many days now, but it seems like the only thing I dream about now is work. And it's really starting to frustrate me. I want I want to go off to some magical, weird, strange fantasy land in my dreams, not just think about work. Like last night, the latest installment was uh, I dreamt I was filling in for Sarah McCarthy reading the mo- the morning news run. Oh my gosh. But I was doing it from home, not through a computer, but through my television. <laughs> and uh, be- between every news, I was so tired. So like I'd read the newscast and then I would set my alarm for 627. And then I'd wake up and take two minutes to load a newscast. And then I'd read it and then I'd go back to sleep and fall and set my alarm for 6.59. And then there was at one point I woke up before my alarm. It's like, oh, 10.54, I actually have time to put this newscast together. Uh, it just And then I woke up to go to work. Like, like, just spent six hours at work. No wonder I'm tired. So anyway, we want to talk about recurring dreams. Do you have any recurring <laughs> dreams or recurring themes or maybe just something that happens in your dreams often. Like, Loren, you were telling me about something that you sometimes will uh, experience when it comes to trying to run. Work-related, it's always evolving a deadline. And it's not I, it's several times a month. It's not once a week, but it's, like, say, twice a month. And I have to get to the studio, whether it's the TV studio or radio studio, but I can't get there fast enough because the floor is on an incline. And I feel like I'm climbing this mountain to get to the top. And so it's just like, and you're struggling, struggling, struggling. Usually with that one, I wake up having to pee. That's just too much information, but that's usually how that one goes. And then I have another one where probably once a month, and this is, I've been told, pure stress related, where I wake up thinking I've lost all my teeth. Like in my dream, I spit out all of my teeth. And then I wake up and I'm like, Frantically touching, I'm like, go back to bed. Your teeth are there. Lots of symbolism in your no, dreams. Self stress, baby. Mm. <laughs> so we want you want to know about your recurring dreams. Shoot us a text for a chance to win those bomber tickets. Portress, what you got? Uh, mine. The worst one for me is when I'm back in high school, 
and I didn't get enough credits, and I'm starting uh, halfway through the year, and I didn't do any of my assignments, and I'm in my math class, and I, I'm 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 so far behind, and like when I'm in the moment, I feel like it's actually happening to me. Like I'm back at River East Collegiate having to redo all these classes and Billy you know, Madison. Get, get my science and my math and all that stuff. Like, I guess that's my like, this is like, I don't really have nightmares. This is my nightmare is having to go back to high school. You know, that's actually another recurring dream I have, but that I, that I go back to university and then tank it like, oh, I forgot. And then, and then I'll wake up and for 10 minutes I'll think I got to drop out of that French mm-hmm. class. I didn't do that essay. And then I, and then it just finally, you know, you, that occurs to you like, oh, I'm awake. That was a dream. Or like, I didn't not... get my degree as one. Oh, yeah? I wake up without a degree, which. Yeah, I get that. That's... I'd keep quiet on that anyway. Yeah, like exactly. And being like, FYI. Yeah. <laughs> that was the answer for uh, Hal Anderson's tough trivia yesterday on connecting Winnipeg. What's uh, that? Well, the, the question was uh, the top three reoccurring dreams are number one. Oh. I can't get remember. Get out of here, two, really? I can't remember. And then number three, like we're looking for the answer for number three, which was. Uh, going back to school as an adult. And uh, so I, just, I, I find it weird that we're talking about this after that tough trivia yesterday. Wow. Reoccurring conversations. <laughs> yeah. Life imitates art. What about you, Sarah? Yeah, mine's pretty simple. And I imagine, I hope this happens to other people, but it's just the when you dream that your alarm is going off and then it turns out you've only been asleep like an hour. Mm-hmm. But that was not the case last night. It, when I got like two hours of sleep after the chicks, the alarm really was real. But, uh,. Yeah, it just goes off in your dream and you wake up and then you're like, no, I have like five more hours. Like, why is my body doing this? Maybe it's a stress work thing mm-hmm. as well. And especially with these hours that we work. But how was yeah. that show? It was very good. It was well worth the two hours. You of didn't sleep. dream you were like a fiddle player in the middle of the no, night. That I, have been it. It I never have cool dream dreams like that. No, I wish I could play the fiddle now. But my, yeah, my dreams are always like, yeah, me screwing up a prepare not like having five minutes just as you said Brett to do like a show <laughs> and having nothing prepared and then stammering and mm-hmm. then it all falls apart that's my these yeah, are dreams I have you know that's fair like, these are nightmares we're describing it's, dreams are supposed really to be dream. like wow what a wonderful moment that I was I don't remember those and I don't ever remember those I just wake up sad yeah <laughs> what about you Mackling I have reoccurring characters in my dreams and I think there are these different storylines that I have in my dreams where I'll be in a certain house with certain people and it's like, oh yeah, I remember this not from real life, but from another dream, if that makes sense. So I've got these multiple lives going on in my dreams. Mm. And so the reoccurring dream or reoccurring experiences and then memories that I have that are not from my life, but from my other dreams, if that all makes sense in any way, shape or form. That happens mm-hmm. to me too, Greg. Yeah, okay, too, yeah. good. So uh, my dreams aren't always stressful. I've had major arguments with Brett in my dreams. I've never had one with Loren. No, I have. I've had one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who did I tell off in my dream one time? from here. I think it might have been Cluche. It was pretty heated. But for the most part, the only work-related stuff I have goes back to my restaurant days, and I can't get to a table, and I typically don't have pants on. So... (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> Forte, do you have anything else? Might as well, just like you guys, about work. And it's always me being late for work. And like in my dream, like I'll either wake up and it's like 7 or 8 a.m. And I'm like, oh, no, it's light outside. I'm so late. But then I go, oh, wait. 
Brett, Brett can do the board, so I can, uh, <laughs> I can, I can afford to come in late. <laughs> I'm always like, oh my god, he's going to be so mad no at me. No wonder he's so he's stressed so in his dreams. <laughs> he knows you're not going to show up. <laughs> we're, we're all traumatized by the clock. Yes, That's what I'm yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's part of our business. So that might that might be it. I do have this incessant. No matter what I'm doing, where I am, I have this incessant need to know what time it is, almost at all times. And it drives me nuts. Like, they're like, what are you? What are you doing? Checking the time? Why? I don't know. Do you have an unreasonable concept of what time it is? Like, if somebody asks you to guess what time it is, no. Are you I relatively I'm, close? I'm, I'm, I'm almost da- dang right on. Like, if somebody tells me how six minutes went by, yep. Like, I can tell you exactly. Yeah, that. that's that's weird. How this business has created that. 204-780-6868. We would like to hear about your either your recurring dreams that are happening over and over and over again, or maybe just something that visits from time to time, a reoccurring situation, or just some th- common themes you might experience, common things you experience, good or bad. It doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be a nightmare. Maybe you have a good dream for that Revisit you from time to time. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those bomber tickets for the 29th against the Argos. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, Richard Kluche will join us to discuss a rather serious conversation he had with Mark Chipman. But first, Greg, a concert announcement. Uh, Yes, you know, just in time for the holidays... Serena Ryder comes to Winnipeg Friday, December 8th. It's the Merry Myths Tour Club Regent Event Center, Loren. Pre-sale starts tomorrow. That's September 13th at 10. Password is Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. Tickets go on sale this Friday via Ticketmaster.ca starting at $49.50 plus fees. Or head to CJOB.com to our contests page for a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Serena Ryder on December 8th for the Mary Myths Tour at Club Regent Event Center. Now in about an hour's time, Heather Stephenson, Wob Canoe and Dugald Lamont will square off for a leader's debate with the election now three weeks away. So we know affordability, crime, roads, I mean, all the above are on the agenda, along perhaps for many of you, the state of our downtown. And whenever we talk about the downtown, the Winnipeg Jets are a huge part of that conversation. If you're heading to a game this season, you'll notice more fan amenities at Canada Life Centre with the owners of the Jets spending as much on renovations to this downtown facility now as they did to build it back in 2004. And so Richard Cluche sat down with Winnipeg Jets president and co-owner Mark Chipman and joins us now from the site of the morning's debate. We're going to have more on that in a moment. But first, Richard, tell us about your conversation with Mark Chipman. You know, uh, pretty frank conversation with Mark Chipman. He's generally uh, fairly guarded. But uh, when it comes to homelessness and what has to be dealt with, he was frank. And when it comes to the hockey team, he said, first and foremost, this team has one of the most stable ownership groups in all of the NHL. So it's here to stay no matter what. But COVID still has affected and continues to affect the team. And you could also argue not going to deep into the playoffs after five seasons ago. And that uh, and that really kind of we toyed with the the Stanley Cup has, has still kind of taken its toll. But Chipman, along with co-owner David Thompson, pledged to spend on this team to the salary cap. And Chipman says one of his big regrets is not having fans in the seats to share that triple overtime victory against the Oilers' Mackling. You can completely and totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. And with a season ticket base that's taken a big hit, and it has taken a hit, Chipman says 
There's a concerted effort to appeal to fans passed over during that initial season ticket appeal back in 2011. When we went on sale way back when and had that historic uh, immediate sellout, it was on a Saturday and people daisy chained their computers together and it was just a bunch of folks across town that bought tickets in groups. And what that did was it kind of precluded a more or a different way of, of selling tickets uh, wherein the business community would have a larger percentage of, of the take up. And so as we've been saying to folks this summer, as we've been doing presentations, we have about 15% of our, of our season ticket base that they're held by, by companies. And, and that's really on the, that's the bottom of the Canadian marketplace. The next closest would be 45%. So going on sale on a Saturday um, seemed like a good idea at the time, but in retrospect, we might've maybe taken a different approach and, and gone to the business community and said, you know, we've got a chance to buy a team. We'd like you to support us. And, and maybe we would have a, a broader buy-in from our, from the, from the business community. That that's really the approach we're taking now is, is, is to, to, to get in front of those people and show them the value of investing in us. And that 15% needs to be doubled, maybe tripled food, beverage, overall entertainment experience is part of that package as is, of course, a winning team. And anyone who knows Mark Chipman, boy, he wants to win. Yeah, he wants to win badly, of course. Uh, Richard, Mark Chipman has spent as much time behind the scenes working on downtown, broader downtown issues that remain unsolved, addiction, mental health, and in some cases, violence. Yeah, Chipman has worked several years uh, pre-pandemic to help launch the Downtown Community Safety Partnership. It is 60 strong now. And while... There's front-end workers, including more police officers, coming to the downtown. It's those other pieces, the wraparound services to deal with those with addictions. We need to get people housed. A housing first strategy that provides a whole set of wraparound services for those people. You can't just buy an old apartment block or, or hotel or whatever and, and you know throw people who are suffering from serious mental health issues and addiction issues and expect them to get well on, on their own. Until we have, A, the resources necessary to help people out of a, an acute addiction or mental health crisis, and then be able to house them in a logical and transitionary way, until those supports are in place, you know, you could triple the size of the D DCSP, you could put three times the number of, of, of uh, police officers on the street, we're going to ch still be chasing our tail. There's a whole infrastructure that we've got to wrap our arms around once and for all that involves getting those supports and getting people housed in a humane way. Chipman tells me Mayor Scott Gillingham, he gets it. He's encouraged the mayor to get a first-hand look traveling to Houston. That's what's happening. And the key is whether the leaders in the room where I'm outside here at the Holiday Inn Airport get it too. Um, because without those services in place, we will continue to languish as a city. Yeah, and especially with an individual and a group in True North and his partner and the Richardsons, Richard, uh, that have spent so much of their own money and, and the REIT and, and, and Harvard and all these big players. For years, it was all about the public money going into downtown. Now the private money has stepped up and we still have some of these issues like crime, like an overall healthy downtown addictions mental health how are those going to how are those questions how are those issues going to play out in this morning's debate well um it's going to be one of the questions for sure um because you can't be successfully economically unless you deal with some of these issues um chipman 
also, we're going to get an NHL draft at some point. One of the key things there, Sutton Place Hotel. That hotel is going to be 30 stories instead of two towers. It's going to be one part of True North Square. There's construction right now as far as the link is concerned from True North Square to the convention center. That's underway as well. You're going to see more hotel rooms. So there's economic progress going on downtown. What Chipman and the others are saying to the leaders in this room behind me is get your stuff together, start funding like other cities are, and once and for all, actually dealing with these problems. That's what they want to hear from the leaders. 680 CJOB's Richard Cloutier, thank you very much, sir. And the full interview with Mark Chipman on the news with Rich and Skyler in for Julie just after 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, Clay Young is going to join us. He was also at the scene of the leaders' debate this morning that Richard Cloutier was moderating. But before that, we have some pretty big news, Mr. Greg, from the Winnipeg Jets. That's right. Just two days following the announcement of the retirement of the Jets' very first captain in the 2.0 era, Andrew Ladd. The Winnipeg Jets in the last few moments have made a big announcement with regard to who will be wearing the C this season. Cameron Poitras, co-host of Jets at Noon, joins us in studio. Cam, who is it and what do you think of the choice? Well, uh, listeners, everybody, um, the third captain of Winnipeg Jets 2.0 in the era will be... Center Adam Lowry will be named the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets. This is a great choice. And that decision will be made. Kevin Dayoff, Rick Bonus, as well as Lowry will be making that announcement official at 11 o'clock this morning, later this morning. I know my wife's going to be thrilled by that choice. Josh Morrissey and Adam Lowry are her two favorite players, and it's not even close. So, uh, Loren, your thoughts on this? Well, they work hard, they play hard, but when it comes to, and this is the same for Morrissey, when it comes to someone from Lowry, just as a fan, what you see on the ice, but also what you see off the ice, you know, leadership is about more than just who you are Mm -hmm. at center ice, right? And I think he displays that on and off. Yeah, it was a two-man race, I think, between most fans, thinking it was either going to be Josh Morrissey or Adam Lowry. I personally was leaning towards the the Morrissey uh, camp, not because I, I thought that he would make a better captain than Adam Lowry. I thought they would both be fine captains for the team. I just thought that after last season I thought it was going towards Morrissey but obviously the organization uh, uh, thinking otherwise and and um, you know, uh, Lowry's been a person who's committed to this team several times. He still has a number of years left on his contract. Um, when he re-signed here in Winnipeg um, just a, a few years ago, he would have hit the market and he would have cashed in. Like he is significantly being named across the league and gaining gaining more recognition as the best if if. Uh, you know, top three, if not the best third line center uh, in the entire league. He might have some different teammates. He might even be able to produce a lot, uh, some more points uh, this year. Maybe he could crack the 40 point mark. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, yeah, great decision by the Winnipeg jets and uh, yeah, great for Adam Lowry. And, and of course I think everybody wishes him the best and think he'll do great in the role. The formal announcement comes at 11 o'clock and Cameron Poitras will have more on jets at noon alongside Jim Toth today on 680 CJOB Adam Lowry, your new cap of the Winnipeg Jets. In the meantime, as we speak, 
The three main leaders are squaring off in one of several debates and forums. Yeah, there's going to be a few over the next few weeks. We go to the polls three weeks today and this morning. The forum started at 8. It's hosted by Manitoba Heavy Construction Association. Richard Cloutier is one of the moderators. But right now, Global News Morning reporter Clay Young has been listening in and joins us to tell us more. What's happening, Clay? Well, um, the three main leaders are uh, having a little discussion right at the moment. Uh, and I believe the, the Premier, uh, Heather Stephenson, is speaking right now. I believe they're talking about affordable housing, but right now I'm joined by Malcolm Bird, who is a political science professor at the University of Winnipeg. Thanks for coming with us. My pleasure. All right. So, you know, we're coming down to the wire here. It's just over a couple of weeks now before we go to the polls. You're following this campaign like a hawk. What are you, what are you seeing so far? Well, I've seen... I've seen a lot of uh, promises, uh, people promising voters uh, free things, tax cuts, uh, and, 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 and many benefits. What I haven't seen is an honest and frank discussion about how exactly all of this is going to be financed. And it makes sense that political parties don't want to talk about the real serious financial challenges this province face. They're mostly concerned about getting elected. And the way you get elected is you promise voters things that they want, whether that's emergency rooms or tax cuts. Or, 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 or lower hydro bills. So we're seeing lots of promises. Um, we'll see how those promises resonate with voters, uh, but I'm always much more concerned about the actual implementation of these promises and the huge challenges uh, that whatever party forms government that they will face uh, when they actually have to make those decisions and allocate the scarce resources. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the things that we're hearing is, you know, how are you going to pay for this? And they're sort of responding by saying, well, we're going to get some federal money to help out. Well, that's not always a guarantee. No, it is not. And the federal government also is under tremendous strain um, in terms of how much revenue it's has and particularly how much borrowing it's going to be able to do. The real elephant in this room that no one wants to discuss is the roughly $50 billion that this province owes in hydro and public debt and the fact that that debt is going to start coming due or is coming due and instead of being at a relatively low interest rate, we all know that the interest rates are rising and that's going to put tremendous pressure on the public finances. On the way over here, I was uh, I had it dialed into... Uh CJOB, and I heard, you know, a, a PC ad, a radio ad. I've seen some of them on TV as well, and the same thing for the NDP ad. Uh, the NDP are going after uh, Heather Stephenson. PCs are going after Wab Canoe. Do you think things are going to get uh, uh, even more nasty over the next couple of weeks? I, there's a possibility that they could. Uh, as, I, as we discussed a little earlier, I'd be very cautious about how nasty either party gets. Because they can backfire. They can backfire and people don't like them. And I think people have really serious issues on their, on their, on their minds. Uh, people, inflation is, is really hurting families. It's really hurting, uh, marginal poor people. Healthcare, uh, and crime are, are tangible real things that Manitoba voters care about. And they want to hear what governments are going to do to help their, help the, the standard of living of their families, raise their wages, improve their health care, and, and, and manage crime. I mean, we have some very real, tangible problems. And if political parties spend too much time calling each other's 
bad names, um, that's going to turn people off. All right, before we throw it back to uh, the studio, uh, you're a straight shooter. Um, you're on the fence. You're neutral. So last poll I saw was a free press probe research poll. PCs and NDP virtually tied, but the NDP still have a big lead in Winnipeg. So who do you think is going to win this? Come on. If I was a voting person, I would yeah. say the NDP probably has an advantage, um, but that decision uh, will be left with the voters in those swing suburban ridings around Winnipeg. And in those ridings are women and many new Canadians, and they're going to be the voters that will determine the outcome uh, of this election and who forms government in October. Election night. It, do, you, do you think it could go? Would you be surprised if it went either way? No. No, I would not. I think the Conservatives have run a pretty strong campaign. They have a good record. And I think that uh, they're, they're, again, addressing tangible, real issues that people care about. And uh, so I think, you know, in terms of sort of an incumbent government and defending their record, they, they've got a pretty pretty strong one to run on. And uh, so I, I would say uh, it, it, I would not be surprised if a PC government won. But if I, uh, I guess my, my general sense, and I'm not a pollster, would be that the NDP uh, has a slight advantage um, as 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 a new face and a new new party coming in uh, to form government. Malcolm Bird, uh, political science professor, University of Winnipeg. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. Uh, all right. Uh, let's go back to you guys. Global News Morning reporter Clay Young. Thank you very much, Clay. And once again, uh, Richard Cluche moderating that debate this morning. He was on with us just after seven oh five. Gave us a piece of his. Discussion with Mark Chipman, and you'll be able to hear that full conversation just after 3 o'clock today on the news on 680 CJOB. One of the things that you brought up there was about, you know, costing out your platform. So saying you're making these promises, well, how are you going to pay for other things? If you're cutting here, what's going to replace that income? And one of the hardest parts right now, I think for a lot of voters, and I've definitely heard this literally on the streets with discussions, is when we talk about resource issues we might need, do we need more police officers? Do we need more doctors? Do we need more nurses? Where are we getting them? And each party has made promises along that front. So it's not just the dollar and cents. I like it. I like any party that's promising to make all, all of these things better. But all of them are making sort of pledges. And I, it's not clear to me how we get the people. I, that's the number one concern I've had from the get-go, in particular from a couple of the larger promises from Wab Canoe. Even if you've fully costed this out, dollars and cents, C-E-N-T-S, does it make sense, S-E-N-S-E, that you can keep this promise based on being able to recruit the people that are required in order for you to fulfill this campaign, what I see as an obligation? You're saying you're going to do it. If you're put in government, you have already figured out how you're going to accomplish this. I don't want to hear six months in... Well, we wanted to hire 200 more doctors, but we couldn't find them. We wanted to bring in more nurses, but the system can't support. Don't tell me that halfway through your term when we start questioning about the promises that you've broken. I want to know that you've made a plan that's not only costed out with regard to the money, Brett. I want to know that what you're telling me is something you can actually do from all points of the promise. Otherwise, you can promise a lot of stuff, 
And uh, for too many people, that's what politicians do. They make promises that they're more than willing to break once they get into government. We'll have much more through the day on 680 CJOB as we tackle the big election issues. Today's issue is on affordability. And just one final quick note on Adam Lowry uh, being named the Jets captain. And you talk about his conduct on the ice and off the ice. This is just a random thing. I remember I was standing in line at FedEx. I ordered some golf balls and I had to go pick them up because I wasn't there when they showed up. And um, Adam Lowry got in line behind me and I thought, I sort of recognize that guy, and I definitely recognize the hat. That was the connection because he was wearing that Vogue sportswear hat, and he does he has a partnership with them. And I, he just stood in line, and that shouldn't be surprising. But just based on the behavior we've seen from other hockey players, Good point. It just it it was sort of like he just stood in line, waited his turn, uh, no fanfare. He was didn't there was no like, do you know who I am? Kind of like I didn't even get that sense from him. He just waited his turn. And I just thought, cool. That's probably cool, happy man. to do it, too. I wonder how many number 17 jerseys will be coming off the shelves this week now that he's been named uh, captain. There are already a lot of them, but I think you're right, Loren. Probably a lot more. A, a commitment to the community and being out in the community and being willing to do that, I think, is a really big part of what the Jets have to do over the next several seasons. And Adam Lowry, Josh Morrissey are leading the charge on that front. So congratulations to number 17 and uh, that addition to his jersey this year that C over the heart it is Mackling McGarry and McNabb a reminder that we have bomber tickets to give away for the September 29th game against the Argos and we're asking you at 204-780-6868 about your dreams do you have recurring dreams do you have reoccurring dreams or do you just have some things that pop up like maybe similar themes and Carol with one that's kind of along the lines of something you shared earlier today, Loren. Carol says, I always used to dream about losing all my teeth, and I am particular about them because when I broke my bridge in 2020, I thought that dream was coming true. Now, four implant, implants later, things are better, and I no longer have that dream or nightmare. Could have been stress or maybe just fear of aging. But there you go. You're not the only one who dreams about your teeth falling out. It is. I mean, again, in Googling these things, I don't know how anyone knows the true answer to the interpretation of your dream. But the odds are it's stress. It's you're, you're literally shedding something that's bugging you and trying to get it out of your system. Isn't that going to be the answer for like most of the sure things that stress. are negative in, in your dreams? Is it going to be stress? Or something you mentioned when I have the dream about trying to get to the studio but i'm like walking up a hill and the, yeah. the floors on the incline i think you said that could be something holding you back yeah you, there's a fear that you feel like you're, you're being held back or maybe you can't quite reach your goals in life uh, for whatever reason that happens to me a lot where i'll be trying to run uh, incline or no just trying to run down the sidewalk and i just can't get moving and that's actually something that doesn't happen often but it happens like it's been happening since I was a kid. Yeah, I can, it, yeah, trying to run away from something and it feels as though you've got a gigantic bungee cord on your back and yeah. you just cannot get up to speed. And yeah, that's frustrating. I, I love the ones where that I can just kind of jump and then just kind of swing my arms and then I can jump as high as I want. Oh, you use that's your arm like Thor's hammer. Correct. And I get uh, and I get the momentum and uh, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, man, I'm I got a positive I, dream. Yeah, I have that one on a regular basis, and uh, like it should be, fun. Should be in the NBA by now. <laughs> uh, according to One Dream's website, I'm on the teeth falling out is the most common dream, followed by being chased, unable to find a toilet, 
being <laughs> naked, failing exams, flying, falling, crashing a car, an unused room. What? An, an unused room. You're, you're angsting about the room that no one goes into? <laughs> I think you should not go on that website anymore. That's no, a weird one. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In just a moment, we are going to tell you about something super important that's happening here at 680 CJOB on Friday. But before that, today, every Tuesday, Thursday, for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on a number of big election issues. Today, we're talking affordability, and the three big leaders will be on this radio station throughout the day, Loren. So just after the news at 1030... The PC leader, Heather Stephenson, will join Hal Anderson. At 2.30, the Liberal leader, Dougald Lamont, will speak with Jim Toth. And then at 3.37, I don't know why I have such a precise time for that one, that's when Wab Canoe will join, leader of the NDP will join uh, Richard and co. Uh, I'm looking at Tim's. <laughs> I can't remember. Is it Skylar? Is it Skylar and... That wasn't supposed to be a callback. I know, but I still like it. I always like those callbacks. We have to start that rivalry again. Uh, the hockey season is back in order, of course. Adam at Lowry to be named Jets captain today. And uh, Tim saying, I have this reoccurring dream of going to, to work and suddenly realize I forgot my pants and only have my underwear on. I'm wondering if that question will get asked to the leaders today if they have any reoccurring dreams about standing up in the legislature without having any any, you know, lower garments on. <laughs> 204-780-6868. Last chance to get in on the bomber tickets. Tell us about your dreams for a chance to win. We'll pick a winner in our next segment. In the meantime, the demand for help from people struggling with substance abuse issues continues to rise. Yeah, we know addiction concerns have been a huge part of the conversation right across this country. And our next guest and its organization, they, they play a big role in trying to help people either get off drugs, get off alcohol, walk away from booze, or find a home. And we're teeing this up because on Friday, that's September 15th, CJOB is hosting the Be a Part of a Story Radiothon in support of Adult and Teen Challenge. And before that important day, we're speaking with Pastor Daniel Edmond, President and Chief Executive Officer of Adult and Teen Challenge. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Just for those who don't know, how would you sum up what your organization does? Who are you? Well, you know, we're an organization really dedicated to putting hope within reach of every family that's dealing with addiction. And... um, it seems to be escalating. The, the problems and the needs seem to be escalating. So we have um, encountered uh, growth in our services and our programs to really, really meet a family where they're at when they, when they find themselves in a situation where a loved one or um, you know, husband, wife are struggling. And what do you do? And so we're there to help and walk alongside families over a, a, up to five years, even some families, uh, to, to find complete freedom from addiction. Pastor, I was watching a video from a rapper, a music star, Macklemore, over the weekend, and he was talking about his addiction and about the day that his wife told him that she might be pregnant. And he confesses in this video to getting on his hands and knees and praying that, that she isn't Pregnant. I'm not sure if at this time they're even married. The point was he didn't want to bring a child into this world, not because it's crazy, not because of any other reason than he didn't want to give up his drugs. 
He didn't want to give up his highs. And it was just for me, the perfect illustration of, you know, addiction does not discriminate and it's a powerful thing for those who find themselves in it. Yeah. The struggle is real. And the, the, Exactly what you said. It is no respecter of person. I mean, I was in first year med school. At U- I was studying to be a medical doctor, University of Manitoba, when I fell. I, I mean, I fell and my father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And I, 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 I felt that hopelessness, that despair. And I just, I was already socially involved, you know, but but I ran to you know the medic, the medication of what drug drugs and alcohol offer, and and quickly was, uh, you know, became a, a full fledged addict, and and basically lost five to six years of my life in addiction, and so thankful, so very thankful that that someone from this organization, Adult Team Challenge, and I went through, I went, I went to AFM, and I, and I went to support groups, and and and. Uh, they were all part of my recovery journey. But when I, when I met someone from the adult and teen challenge organization and they shared their story with me of hope, they shared their story with me of their journey of, of finding freedom and how their life had been completely transformed. And, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I looked up to the heavens. I, I, cause I was not, uh, I was not a religious person and, I still don't consider myself to be a religious person. As a pastor, I really, really believe that that each one of us were created to to have a personal relationship with God. But it, that's what a lot of us uh, don't have when we fall into addiction. And spirituality is a big part of uh, you do this the research and the studies, and you 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 look uh, World Health Organization um, everywhere where you see people finding freedom from addiction, the, the spiritual aspect plays a big part. And that adult and teen challenge, when someone said to me, well, you know, you should, you should, you should ask God for help. Uh, that was a foreign thing to me, but I was so thankful that they, that they didn't, they didn't uh, beat me over the head or they didn't, they just said, Hey, just give it a chance. Give, give recovery a chance, you know, ask, ask God for help. And, and we love you. We'll help you. And that was 17 years ago. <laughs> I, uh, I, and I look back, you know, uh, an incredible family. I mean, I, I thought there was no hope. The, the statistics said that there was no hope for me. There, there was, I was going to be a drug addict for the rest of my life. And, uh, but God, and I just, uh, I'm so thankful that Adult and Teen Challenge is an organization that from its roots, 1958, birthed in New York, uh, uh, Brooklyn, New York, you know, one, again, uh, uh, a pastor that was tired of the religious part of church. And he wanted, he, he hit the streets of New York to help people that were dying on the streets of New York and, and started the teen challenge. And now, you know, around the world and here in central Canada, I mean, we, we are working, we have over a hundred long-term program beds. We have, you know, eight outreach offices, outpatient programs. It's called Ready Now Recovery. Um, you know, when you're ready for help, we are ready to help you find freedom from addiction. Well, it's going to be a wonderful day on Friday. Last year's Radiothon was just a, like amazing story after amazing story. So, Pastor, thank you very much for joining us this morning to help get us ready for Friday. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much.
Pastor Daniel Lehman, President and Chief Executive Officer of Adult and Teen Challenge here in Central Canada for the Be a Part of a Story Radiothon happening this Friday on 680 CJOB. It will be an inspiring day indeed. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We are giving away bomber tickets for... The game on the 29th against the Argos. And we're asking you about your recurring dreams or reoccurring dreams. Because for the last like two weeks, I, it feels like every night, I all I dream about is work. And it's really starting to bother me. So a couple of our runner-up runner here, Cheryl S. from Elphinstone, says, I've been having these dreams about my hometown, which is Elphinstone, Manitoba. These dreams have been going on for years. They are always violent and really detailed. I could give any famous author a run for their money. It's always about some type of disaster, be it floods or raining fires, fighting mythical beasts, basically Armageddon. There are about half a dozen dreams I keep having. Strange, it always involves where I was raised. Well, just like the author Stephen King, maybe that's where his stories come from because all of his stories are mm-hmm. set in a small, sleepy town in Maine. Elphinstone, I'm trying to, that's, I was just looking at the map. I, Don't north, look at me. North of, no, it's uh, north of Strathclair. Couldn't even bring yourself to say Nipawa, could you? No, nothing's north of Nipawa. <laughs> All dreams go to die. I'm kidding, Nipawa. You know I love you. Uh, Elphinstone's, my point is, I think its population is, it's, you know, a very small town. A couple town. dozen, right? Wow, well, might be hundreds. Five, five, ninety. Five, ninety. Well, Greg, how'd you like to wake up uh, to Jackie doing this, to what happened to Jeff? One of our, another runner up here. Yeah, a few years ago, my wife was dreaming that there was a mouse in the house. She hates mice. The mouse came out and she punched it. <laughs> but in reality, she punched me in the face really hard. I thought she broke my jaw. I woke up and she woke up and I said, what the hell is wrong with you? She was almost crying, said she was so sorry. She was dreaming a mouse was after her. That's her story. And she's sticking to it. I often wonder when people get hurt in their dreams, Brett, like by someone, did you, did you really dream of the mouse or you just, you know, it was just, he's snoring or, you know, the smack, stop snoring. But our winner today, Loren, is Dan, the Earl of Eli. Dan says, I've had the same reoccurring dream for several years. It involves me winning the lottery. I buy a ticket. I win big, like 50 million. In my dream, I start making plans for my money. What am I going to buy? How am I going to put on a huge party? Then I have family and friends coming to me with hat in hand, asking for loans, for help financially. And then in turn, I'm very rude to them telling, them, telling them to go win their own lottery. Then I wake up and think I should have never talked to so-and-so that way. And I feel bad for days on how I talk to them. And even if I happen to bump into that friend, I feel awkward. And I know it was a dream and they have no clue what I said or did, but I still feel weird. It's funny how you've talked about that, getting mad at the hubby for a dream you had. Did something in your dream. You're mad at him. Well, on that list, cheating popped up as one of the top 10 dreams. And so you wake up and you're in a fight before they've even spoken their first word. That when that happens, I can't shake that feeling until I go back to sleep. Like it's like, I, I got to go through the full cycle and then go back to sleep and reboot my brain. Cause it's just the, the dumbest thing. You're like, I dreamt that you cheated on me. You didn't, but I'm really upset. <laughs> and I, and I, you can't shake it. No, and I can remember the time I was walking down the stairs of the cafeteria and someone I'd had a dream about the night before, a a very nice dream, walked past me and I went completely red. She looked at me, 
what's wrong? Nothing. I can't tell you. And I ran down. I ran down the stairs <laughs> into the cafeteria. I'm probably blushing right now, remembering it. Coming up after Global News at 9.30, we have a call to action and want to tell you how your voice can make a difference with the Alzheimer's Society. Our next guest is here with a call to action to let you know your voice can make a difference in this month of September, which is World Alzheimer's Month. Aaron Crawford is the CEO of Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba, joins us in studio this morning. Aaron, good morning. Great to see you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, we started this today and every Tuesday and Thursday for the next three weeks. We're, we're placing a heavy focus on the election, and the election is part of your campaign for this month. So we'll just ask you, what is your message for governments of all of all possibilities? Yeah, well, you know, I used to work with somebody who had a saying, hope is not a strategy. And I think the the meaning behind that was really we can't all just hope that we aren't one of the people who's diagnosed with dementia. And we can't just hope that if we are in that group, that government will have had it figured out and that they will have a plan waiting for us. Because what most people are finding now is actually that that's not the case, that there really aren't the supports in place that people actually just thought would be there and that really properly should be there. So we've identified five priorities that we think are really most important to see addressed in this election. There, these are some complicated issues, right? When you talk about how we're going to care for an aging population mm-hmm. without dementia as part of the equation, let alone throwing that in for Alzheimer's and, and all the rest. And so when you talk about those five priorities, do all five have to happen? Let's go through it because, you know, one is often connected to the other. Doing just one might not be enough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there's all kinds of pieces that need to happen, but we can't become so overwhelmed by the amount of things that we don't pick off bits that can help. If your family has a dementia diagnosis, it becomes all-consuming. And so what are some of the things that would make it better? So we ask people, people with dementia themselves, what would help you? People who are care partners or family or friends, what would help you? And some of the things that they identified, for example, better home care, improved home care. Uh, Home care becomes such a key support relatively early on in most people's dementia journey, it becomes part of being able to support somebody at home and often still being able to live aspects of your own life. But it is a really challenged program right now. And really, for the most part, families are left with huge unmet need there. So I think there's a real need that families express to us for more home care, more flexible home care, more reliable home care, And with better dementia training, because it actually doesn't really help anybody if the home care person shows up, has no idea how to deal with dementia, and now everybody's upset. So that has to be improved. We need better seniors housing options. Um, A whole lot of seniors housing places don't actually want somebody with dementia there. Well, then what are you supposed to do? We need affordable options that people can find a place where they can go and live, where their mom or their dad can go and live, that are genuinely supportive and want them there. Is that because of security, because of the challenges that come with dementia? I know when you were worried about people in the later stages, they getting lost, having the locked doors. Like, why would be the reason to not want that person there? Well, I think that there's a lot of pieces to supporting somebody with dementia. And if you have somebody who's... Um, prone to, for example, wandering and needs to have locked doors. That's not always such a big challenge, but if you have somebody who yells or swears or gets really upset 
um, with people around them, it's upsetting to other people, right? And so most places would prefer not to have that out in the open. But it leaves people in this jam. What are you supposed to do? You need places that are willing to support them and are trained to support them and say, okay, yes, come, bring your mom or dad. They'll be fine here with us. We get it. So some of the other supports, uh, additional financial supports for care partners, improved supports to navigate the healthcare system and strategies for building more dementia-friendly communities. And with this call to action, your voice can make a difference. How can Manitobans help to answer this call to action? How do they make their voice heard on this? So I think the number one thing, so a lot of people don't actually even want to talk about dementia. If it's in their family, they don't want to share it. So if candidates come to your door, tell them that there's dementia in your family and what that's been like for you. You don't even have to ask for the specific things, but just impress upon them that this is something you're impacted by and care about. We would love if people would write letters to their candidates or to the major parties, if they would ask for meetings. But I think that biggest thing is actually sharing that this is something that's important to all of us. You know, statistically, you talk about that graph and that arrow. That is a steep increase that we're anticipating in terms of you thought dementia was a, an issue societally now. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, it's going to double in the next 25 years. So being proactive on this front is going to be essential. Otherwise, we're having a hard enough time trying to catch up now. We're never going to catch up. No, no. It, we're setting ourselves up for an impossible situation where we're all being failed. And for a quality of life that isn't what any of us, we're picturing trips to Italy And everybody pictures that. And then in reality, that's not always what happens. And has somebody put in place your alternative to Italy when that becomes your reality? Well, let's think that number is 39,100 estimated to live with dementia by 2050. That's the person living with it. You're not talking about the 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 one or two caregivers. So you're really looking at minimum 100,000 people within the next 30 years impacted minimum. That's just saying the one kid or the one spouse. Yeah, I'm nodding like crazy. We did a poll a couple of years ago, 62% of Manitobans said they had had a close friend or family member with dementia. So you're exactly right. That number of people, the people who have to wrap around them to provide supports is significant. So more of us than not are going to be impacted by this in the next few years. What are we going to do? There's an election now. It is a time to impress upon parties that this is a priority for all of us and we want to see better. We picture better for ourselves. We picture better for our families. Let's actually take some steps. There are easy steps we can do to make this better for us. Our guest is Aaron Crawford, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. And one of the other stats you've highlighted here is that one in two Manitobans wouldn't know where to look for home care and other related services if they were diagnosed with dementia. In terms of what your society offers for help, like what for families who are learning someone they love has dementia, how can the Alzheimer's Society help them? Yeah, so... We are buzzing with activity over at the Alzheimer's Society. So we have all kinds of things going on. But the number one thing is you phone us and we can walk you through what there is, what there isn't, what some strategies that families use to work around that, how you should plan ahead, what you should anticipate, and the kinds of decisions you're likely going to have to make and how to set yourself up for those now. So if I'm unaware... You know, with with a parent who's in their early 70s, -hmm. two parents in that circumstance, and I don't understand what's available and what's not available, 
do our leaders understand? Do you get the sense that our leaders and those that want to be our leaders understand what we are up against in your conversations with them? Mm. To some extent. Um, I don't think any, I don't think people really share what that journey looks like for themselves very well. And I think that's where the Alzheimer's Society really tries to be the voice of people with dementia and their care partners. That's what we're trying to do right now. So I do think there's uh, compassion and empathy. Um, but do I think that it's clear where all of these gaps are? Because it's not just navigating the healthcare system. It is healthcare. It is how do you get a diagnosis and how do you get referred to a specialist and how do you get the care that you need? But it's also where do you find the housing and where how, do, how does paneling into long-term care work? And, and what, home, what is private home care versus public home care? And all of these pieces are they're so complex um, that I think there really just still needs to be a greater emphasis on saying to families, we got you. I feel some trepidation in, in listening to this only because I remember doing stories back in 2004 you know, when the first we first just talked about the silver tsunami, about the aging population that's going to hit Winnipeg, let alone that with dementia and all the same. Some of the many things you're saying now were said 20 years ago and you wonder, OK, well, if we, if we think they're sort of listening now, boy, we're running out of time. Yeah, I mean, there I, I, I get we'll figure it out and families will figure it out. And people since the dawn of time have figured it out. But when I, you talk about the extrapolation of numbers, I think families will figure it out, but they will do so at an enormous cost to themselves and not the way we all envision it. And I do think that politicians um, are sensitive to it and have and, and are are doing some things around it. And those are important. Um, but I st- there's still pieces that just, I, really, frankly, I think it needs to be on all of our radars more yeah. so that we're all nagging and pestering politicians about how important we just want to see this addressed so that they feel that pressure. You know, I think that's really what we're hoping as part of World Alzheimer's Month and, and being here today. And thank you for giving us the microphone to be able to say on behalf of people, let's make this a priority so that politicians have no choice but to prioritize it. And one but one final thing before we let you go, and we only have about a minute, but I see that you've had a number of programs scheduled through the month. Uh, things like Tales Along the Trail at Fort White Alive or Journeys Through the Zoo at Assiniboine Park Zoo or Now and Then a Journey in Time at the Manitoba Museum. So how how do these programs help for your what you're campaigning for this Yeah, month. we have really cool stuff, I think, if I do say so myself, at the <laughs> Alzheimer's Society. Because when you have early to moderate dementia, yes, some of these challenges that we're talking about today are coming down the road for you. But early on, people are still active and capable of participating meaningfully in all sorts of activities. And these are programs where you can still go out. And if you like nature, you go do the uh, Tales Along trail at Fort White. If you're interested in history, you go to the Manitoba Museum. And these are programs where people have been trained in what dementia is, what it looks like, how you respond, They're friendly, welcoming places. And so being able to still engage in your community and be active in activities, that's something that the Alzheimer's Society really prides ourselves 
on being able to provide for people. So you can go with your friend. The ladies that you've always lunched with, they can partner up and they can take you to our Minds in Motion program. You have coffee and play games and, and exercise. And that's what we have all kinds of things going on in September and October. And I'd really encourage people to call us and sign up. And you can get more information at alzheimer.mb.ca. Aaron Crawford, once again, CEO of the Alzheimer Society of Manitoba. Thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate the time. Oh, thank you. We appreciate it. Once again, September is World Alzheimer's Month. And again, we are expecting the number of Manitobans living with dementia to double to almost 40,000 by the year 2050.